Welcome to the Mixed Blessing Podcast. I'm Chandra Crane, and today we're sitting down with me. Welcome to this introductory episode, a little teaser of what's to come, a chance to get a little glimpse of the types of conversations we'll be having this season. No, I will not be talking with myself, but I'll be answering some of the same types of questions for you, the listener, as though we're getting to sit down, cross the table, and enjoy a drink together. And these are the same types of questions I will be asking our guests all throughout this season. So welcome. Pull up a chair, grab some tea, maybe some coffee, maybe even some water, get comfortable, and let's talk here at the multi-ethnic table. One of the things that most multi-ethnic folks have, whether they are this ethnically ambiguous uh, designation that we talk about a lot, or if they really favor one phenotype or another, but there's just a little something different to them, or if they are engaging with their culture in a way that makes someone ask them, what are you? It's a really not cool question, folks. If you are mixed, multi-ethnic, you know that. If you are monoethnic, welcome to the table. Please feel free, pull up a chair and sit and listen. But this is a podcast by, for, and about mixed people. So our primary audience, the people whose voices we want to lift up, the listeners we want to encourage and let them know that they are seen and they are loved and they are known, is mixed folks. But if you're listening, just file that one away, monoethnic folks. What are you? Not a great question to ask. One of the most powerful things I discovered was when I was conducting interviews for the Mixed Blessing book, I got a chance to talk with some people who all had their various answers to that question, but also some folks who had learned better ways to ask it and to engage with it. And one of the things that I was so encouraged and challenged by was the idea of what is your heritage? Who is your family? What is your story? That's a question that, one, isn't dehumanizing, and two, it's a question we can all ask each other and get to know each other better and have better community, whether we're multi-ethnic or mono-ethnic, whether we're majority culture or minority culture. So in answer to that question, my heritage, my story, is that I like to refer to myself, at least in this season of life, as ethnically Thai and white American and culturally white and black. The first one is, well, it's not simple because nothing for mixed folks is, but my birth father was a Thai national. He came over for college. He met my mom. Unfortunately, things didn't work out for them. So it was just my mom and me, shout out to single parents, for the first five years. But when I was five, she married the man that became my father. He was my stepfather, but he adopted me when he married her, and so he became my dad. He taught me how to ride a bike. He walked me down the aisle. He was my dad, uh, and still is, but unfortunately, he passed away, um, gosh, almost 10 years ago now. But he was an African-American, or as he preferred, black man. And so I was raised with this interesting mix of a white mom and a black dad as a little Asian kid. When I was younger, I looked fully, whatever that means, Asian, 
My mom's genetics had not made themselves known yet, so I didn't have the freckles. I had the straight, dark, dark, dark hair uh, and the even paler face. And my eyes hadn't rounded out yet, so very much the phenotype, the prototype of what we consider of what a person out of the Asian diaspora looks like. So that was my lived experience. I also was born and raised in a small farming town in New Mexico. So a lot of intersections of identity and ethnicity and culture. But growing up, I very much had this blend. My mom had some habits uh, that she'd picked up during her time living in Thailand. And so I grew up always aware that my family was very different, but also that I was very different from my family. As I said, I also consider myself culturally white and black. This is a tricky thing because I have a lot of pale skin privilege. I don't have genetically that tie to the African diaspora that so many folks have. But and I want to say this carefully because I don't want to do the, some of my best friends, some of my family are black because that is incredibly unhelpful. But I have a black family. I was raised by a black man. I feel issues that impact the black community very strongly. We have now placed ourselves in a church under the headship of a black pastor. So yeah, some of my best friends are black. <laughs> I have black aunties and uncles. I have black cousins. I have family that I am really in the last 10 years or so, and certainly in the last five years, I have these people that I love so dearly, and I'm becoming more and more aware of what it's like for them in a way that I'll never fully understand because I don't have brown or black skin, but I'm becoming more aware as much as I can be of what they face being black in America. And certainly since Mike Brown was shot and killed, definitely since the next wave of killings, thinking of men like Trayvon Martin and women like Breonna Taylor, I feel very strongly about identifying with my Black family and the Black culture I was raised with. I was raised with Thai chilies and Thai fish sauce in the potted chicken. My dad, who was from the South, would make. That was normal to me. And in fact, it is normal, right? Because one of the things we're trying to do in this podcast, in the work that we're doing with Mixed Blessing Book, in the work that so many people are doing fighting against white supremacy, is we're trying to adjust what the definition of normal is. We want to make sure that we think about what is right and good in terms of a God who created all ethnicities, who loves all all cultures, who is redeeming all people who come to him in humility and in faith. So that's a little bit of my heritage, my story, my family, my current family. That was my family of origin, my extended family. My current family is also mixed in the sense that, first of all, I could not have found, I don't know, maybe, but I did not find uh, a man to marry who was ethnically Thai white and culturally white black. Didn't find that. But I met and married a wonderful white man who has a heart for multi-ethnicity, who has a heart for racial reconciliation, who is walking this walk like we all are, trying to humble himself and learn and really seek after God's heart for justice. And so that means my kiddos are 
if we want to do the math, which has its pros and cons, if we want to do the math, my kids since a young age have known about fractions. I have two daughters. They are technically three-quarter white and one-quarter Thai. But what's interesting is the ways in which both of their phenotypes differ from each other, from me and their dad, from those around them. And so the ways in which they experience the world somewhat differently and also somewhat the same because it is obvious they're sisters and it is obvious that genetically we're their parents. As I think about their Thai family, who we don't get to see, well, I've only gotten to really see once in my 30s when I got to go to Thailand for the first time. Our oldest daughter has met them once, some of them, and our youngest daughter has never met them. As I think about our Thai family, there's this sense of, I wish I had been raised with more Thai culture. I wish I could speak Thai better, which really means at all, uh, because my Thai is abysmal. It is a tonal language. It has five tones, which is one more than Mandarin. And it's a beautiful lyrical language. I love music. I did band in high school. I've done choir. I've taken voice lessons for whatever reason. I cannot get the tones down. I once cussed at my grandmother accidentally because I kept trying to tell her something was beautiful. And instead of having a mid-tone, I had a rising tone. And that makes a big difference. So as I think about my culture in a lot of ways, I identify more with white family, white folks, black family, black folks, and even Latino, Latina folks, because I grew up in New Mexico and my Spanish accent is not perfect, but it is way better than my Thai accent. And I understand Hispanic, Chicano, Latin culture way better than I understand Thai culture. So part of the conversations we'll be having this season are letting people tell their stories and how their ethnicity shapes them and not just in a mono-ethnic sense of, well, what does it mean to be one ethnicity? But understanding that for those of us who are mixed, it is not a distant footnote. It is not something that we think, oh, that's cool. I had these ancestors a long time ago. No, it is something that affects us Every time we look in the mirror, every time we think about our family, every time we fight for justice, we're very keenly aware of our mixed status, the ways in which for those of us who have white culture as part of our ethnic and cultural heritage, we're very aware of the ways in which we have so much privilege. For those who are mixed within a larger category, such as Japanese and Chinese, or different tribes within native nations we're still they're still very aware that there's a tension there and there's probably a power differential between one culture and another and those things live within our bodies so it's a really powerful important conversation as we think about racial reconciliation moving forward we mixed folks have a lot to share and a lot to bring to the table. And so I'm so excited for you to hear these conversations. They're so powerful. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back and I will tell you more about Mixed Blessing Podcast. Today's intro episode is sponsored by InterVarsity Press. 
Go to ivypress.com to browse a variety of thoughtful Christian books by a diverse group of authors. That's I as in ice cream, V as in violin, P-R-E-S-S.com. And save 30% and get free shipping for Chandra's book, Mixed Blessing, with promo code MIX30, M-I-X-3-0. The next part of what we look at in most episodes is this question of grief and joy and how grief and joy are related, how in some ways they are opposite sides of the coin, how in some ways we cannot rush through lament to get to happy joy because that's not what God does. God sits with us in the ashes. We do know the end of the story. We do know Revelation 21, where all of God's people will gather at his throne and sing his praises, which, by the way, is a diverse group of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, but it's not just multi-ethnic in the broad community. It will be people who are multi-ethnic, mixed individuals for all of eternity, like, spoiler, like Jesus was, and we'll get into that this season. And I also go into it in the Mixed Blessing book. It's a powerful story, Jesus' life and his mixed heritage and who he was as the God-man, as a human being who was also fully divine. When we think about how he lamented and how in this here and now, church age, here and not yet, before we get to the ultimate victory, there's a lot of grief. And we all know that. We all feel it in our bones. We hear the earth groaning. We know that things aren't right, that things are broken. And again, mixed folks, we have a lot to say and teach and share about how to lament well with joy on the horizon, with joy in our hearts, clinging and grasping the hem of his robe that he wraps around us, and how to hold tightly to what is to come, even as we sit and lament what is here and now. And so there's a lot of grief to being mixed, but there's also a lot of joy. And we will talk about that. And it's it's amazing. It's beautiful, humbling, vulnerable stories that our guests are giving us this season. I also like to ask folks, especially folks who are thinking about their ethnicity, who are not majority culture, not white, but who are minority culture, and especially those of us who are mixed. I love to ask about something entirely different. Because as much as we are experts on matters of ethnicity because of our lived experience, as much as minorities are often very able to teach and share and explain things that majority culture folks just don't understand, it's also exhausting. It's tiring. It takes a lot out of us. And we want to be seen in our entirety. Nobody questions that white folks are more than their ethnicity. Nobody questions that they're going to have hobbies and interests and things they know about, things that they are experts in that have nothing to do with ethnicity. But a lot of times, I think people make that assumption, majority culture folks make that assumption about ethnic folks, which even as I say ethnic folks, right, that's that's a vestige of white supremacy. That's a vestige of this idea that there's white and there's everybody else and there's normal and there's everybody else. That's not true. And so, I'm having to reject that. I'm having to unlearn that. 
and relearn the ways in which we are not ethnic and white folks are non-ethnic. We all have an ethnicity. We all have a culture. We all have a story and a family and a heritage that shapes us. And whereas we understand that white folks get to have a life beyond how people see them ethnically, that's part of the joy we want to push into as people of color and especially for those of us mixed folks. We want to be seen as all of who we are. So I ask some of my guests if they have a stupid human trick, which is such a funny and I don't know, probably awkward question to ask. I'm sitting here and I'm trying to think, do I have a stupid human trick? I probably do. My kids could probably tell you, but I honestly can't think of anything right now. I'll let you know. Stay tuned this season and I will catch you up if I think of anything. But another question I ask is a favorite memory, a hobby, interesting fact, what somebody is reading or creating or dreaming of. And that's a little bit of a trick question for me because what I've been dreaming of for the last couple of years is writing the Mixed Blessing book. And now for the last couple of months is doing this podcast. Um which again has to do with ethnicity, which is all about being mixed. But here's one. I'll throw out a fun fact. I love Funko Pops, which I know everybody who collects things and who's got any sort of penchant for comic books or geekery or any sort of franchise probably loves Funko Pops. And my collection is not that big. But I love them. And I love making them, actually. So I'm working on one right now. That is for Ming-Na Wen. For those of you who don't know, Ming-Na Wen, well, she's amazing. You, you darn well should know her. But she is an actor who voiced Mulan in the original cartoon. She has also played Agent May in my absolute favorite show of all time, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Don't worry, you'll hear more about it. So I have a Mulan Funko. I have a May Funko. And I also have a Hala and the Enforcer Funko because she voices her in the Marvel cartoon series, one of many. And the only problem is the one that they sell is not for her character in the cartoon. It's for a game that you can play on a console. All that to say, I'm repainting it to match her. So that's my first kind of project. Next, I'm going to be making a Fennec Shand Funko of her, unless they come out with one, because if you've seen The Mandalorian, she is also Fennec Shand. She's the sharpshooter, and in one of the last episodes, spoiler, she teams up with Cara Dune. It's amazing. So I'm kind of hoping they will actually come up with one, but as luck would have it, they probably won't. That's what I love to do. I love to craft, and I'm having an awesome time making these Funko Pops. I'm also making one of myself, which is fun. Of course, if you know me, it will have Converse sneakers. It will have some sort of maybe clever t-shirt or a cardigan, and it will have big earrings and curly hair, and it will be awesome. So that's a funny thing about me. I feel like our guests this season answer that question a lot more smoothly, um, which is funny, right? Because I've given them the questions beforehand. They know it's coming but I wrote these questions. I should have known it was coming. Oh, well, that's something about me. And then we just share a way for you to connect with them. 
a chance to find out more about them, a chance to interact with them on social media. And so I'll throw out mine as well. On Twitter, it's at Chandra L. Crane. L stands for Louise. Um, I guess that's another fun fact about me. On Instagram, it's at Chandra L. Crane or at Mixed Blessing Book. If you look me up, I'm also on Facebook, a couple of other places, and you can go to my website, chandracrane.com. That will give you all my links for the talks I've done, of course, for links to this podcast, for the places that you can get connected, where you can buy the book, all that fun stuff. Y'all, I'm so excited to have you here. It's going to be a dope season. So many amazing guests who are willing to share very deeply of themselves, and we laugh a lot, and we cry some, and we praise God all throughout it, and we ask really complicated questions, some of which don't have answers, and I think that's good. I think that's important, and I think that is what, one of many things, but that is one of the things we mixed folks have a chance to share with the church, which is it ain't always easy and things don't always make sense. And we have to learn to rest in that discomfort, in that liminal space and look to Jesus and say, you're enough for me to look at our brown, Middle Eastern, multi-ethnic Jesus and say, trust you. I hope you enjoyed this mini introductory episode and join us next week because we're going to have Robert Chow Romero. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I already recorded it. It's a great conversation. And I am so excited to see you next week, once again, sitting around and breaking bread together at the multi-ethnic table. Talk to you then. <laughs>